Good morning. This is from Matthew eight twenty-eight through 34, the healing of two demon-possessed men. When he arrived at the other side in the region of Gerardines, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. This is God's word. Real, or is he simply a metaphor for evil? That's a question I was asked at a dormitory at Boston College. Karen was invited by one of her students to meet with a, a dorm as they were being mentored uh, by different people, and I was asked to come along. We got to choose the topic, purpose of life. And after we shared that, there was a question and answer period. Most of the questions were about our own personal spiritual life, but one young man, very interested in spirituality himself, really was wondering, wanted to know my opinion. Is Satan, is the devil real? It's hard for people in the modern world to say yes to that answer, to that question. They look back at some of the Bible stories and they, they see some great truth. They get it maybe impressed by the miracles, but when it comes to the demon possession and the reality of Satan, well, that's ancient superstition. We've grown out of that stage. In fact, uh, it was a question I didn't want asked at that time because I had been able to build a lot of credibility. Everything I was saying made sense as we looked at who God was and how the purpose of life naturally flowed from who God was and really gave answers to life. But now I knew I had to give an answer that might start having me lose some credibility in their eyes. Is the devil real, or is he simply a metaphor for evil? In 2011, George Barna asked that question of everyone who, people who called themselves Christian. Less than 50% of self-identified Christians believe there is a real devil. If we don't believe that, we are missing so much of the dynamic of what is happening in life itself. It's an unseen world that this passage pulls the curtain back and allows us to see. Let's pray. Our Lord, we open your word. Your word is truth. 
Only your spirit can bring that into our hearts as the very sword to cut into us to drive home the truthfulness of that word that we might accept it. For Lord, we are so lost, we are so behind if we do not grasp what is happening in the unseen world around us. Lord, open our eyes today. Bring us Jesus in the midst of the battle we see in this passage and the battle that is taking place in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning I'd really like to look at three aspects of this passage. The first is is answering the question, is the devil real? Secondly, uh, to look at the what is happening behind the curtain that is usually invisible to us, the imagery that is shown within this battle, so quickly won, is something that is happening in all of our lives and happening in the world today. And then thirdly, to look at the, the response of humanity when they see that Christ is the victor. So first... Is the devil real? And we all know people, and perhaps we're among those, who just have a hard time saying yes to that. Uh, there's been too many pictures of this, this red creature with this forked tail and pitchfork, and it's so comical that it, it's hard to believe. And of course, that is not the way Satan looks, yet that gives us a sense that this is all made up, it's fanciful. We look back at these days and say, well, the people were very simplistic back in that time. Uh, They didn't understand the nuances of disease or mental illness. Uh, They didn't understand epilepsy. So they would attribute these things they didn't understand to the devil. And, of course, we have matured so much since then. We have advanced so much scientifically. Of course, we understand that these are somewhat fairy tales, uh, perhaps stories to try to show some sense of truth, but not real at the core. Is the devil real? Well, do you accept that God is real? If you accept that God is real, that there's a spiritual dimension between, beyond what we see, it's not too hard, far of a step to look at the opposite and say, yes, there are spiritual forces and there is a spiritual being behind the wickedness and evil that is taking place in our world. Yes, there is a devil. The people of this day though many cultures were very simplistic and superstitious, the Jewish culture was not. You could look back in Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, and see that Matthew talks about they were bringing many to Jesus. They were bringing those who who had diseases, those who were in pain. They were bringing paralytics. They were bringing the demon-possessed. They were bringing those, the Greek says, uh, that is often translated, those with epilepsy, 
but the King James Version translates it lunacy. Those with mental illnesses. And so you see, it's not such a simplistic view. They could, even Matthew, among the Jews, could see that there are various categories, including there's physical diseases, there is epilepsy, there is psychological disorders, but he does not rule out the fact that there are demons and a devil at work in this world like our modern culture does. So, in reality, the Jews were much more nuanced in their understanding of what's underneath all sorts of diseases than we are today. Scott Peck, who wrote The Road Less Traveled, an enduring, off-the-charts popular book written by a psychotherapist, It's uh, endured for the last 30 years. He wrote a companion book called People of the Lie. And in this book, he is multidimensional in his understanding of what is going on underneath the human heart. Yes, there are physical causes for disorders. There are psychological reasons for disorders. And there are also satanic reasons. There is a spiritual warfare. Uh, I'd like to read you one of the Amazon reviewers of Scott's book. He says this, By reading this book, you will definitely add intellectual and possibly moral value to yourselves. And we'll probably find it highly entertaining at the same time. I totally recommend you buying this book. Nevertheless, I have one serious reservation about this book. And it's in chapter 5, which is titled, Of Possession and Exorcism. In that chapter, the author takes a detour and starts talking about his personal investigation of the myth of possession and the alleged healing practices of exorcism. The shocking finding he throws in your face is that both are true. And he personally witnessed two exorcism procedures, one of which was a possession by Satan himself. And even though I try my best to remain an open-minded person by being receptive of every point of view out there, I can't accept such an outrageous claim if not accompanied by evidence and reason. By the time I reached the end of that chapter, I felt that I was totally deceived by the author and that he did not deserve the respect I had for him. However, once I started reading the following chapter, he gained back my respect of him immediately. <laughs> and so you see, this great picture of, of the modern mind is they can see the, the wisdom of this man until he comes talking about the reality of demons, and then he's just shut out completely, and somehow he's lost his mind. What's interesting, this reviewer actually said is, I really would like some proof. He should have developed that, that chapter into a whole book, and he does. Scott Peck does do that later. Uh, but who was who more simplistic in their understanding? The modern psychotherapist at large who says... Uh, there's physical and psychological reasons for disorders. Or one who says there's physical and there's psychological and there are spiritual dimensions beyond what is happening in us. Don't close that out. 
not only does this chapter talk about the reality of demon possession, we have instance, a handful of instances where Jesus casts out the demons. We cannot separate Jesus from a belief in demon possession and the reality of Satan. Jesus did not allow that. The eyewitness, Matthew, and others tell these stories, what they've seen. In fact, one of the charges against Jesus, when he was seen to be casting out demons, the religious leaders who wanted to take Jesus down didn't say, oh, he isn't casting out demons. There's not demons in those people. No, their charge is he is casting out demons by the power of the devil. And Jesus' response isn't, oh, no, I'm not really casting out demons. You know, you're a misunderstanding. His response is a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. I am not casting out demons by Satan, but by my own power. Yes, there are demons. There is a spiritual warfare out there. Now, we need to be careful. We need to remember what C.S. Lewis said. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the demons themselves, are equally pleased by both. So, two errors. One is to say there is not a spiritual struggle between the demonic and God. The other is to see everything, every issue, as being demonic. Both are very big errors. So, the belief in a spiritual warfare that is going on around us is truly essential for us to move forward in our spiritual lives. This passage helps us, as I've said before, is this warfare is invisible to our eyes. And there are some books like This Present Darkness from over a decade ago that try to fictionally show in a more tangible way the spiritual warfare that's going on. Again, that's pure fiction. But what we see here is reality. And we see the curtain is drawn back between the struggle between Satan and these demon-possessed men and Jesus Christ himself. And through just a few of the things that are said, we see a picture of the work that Satan wants to do. We see the nature of Satan's work. We see the means by which he seeks to work. And we see the results of his work. The nature of his work, it's seen here as we read verse 28. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, which seems to be southeast of the Sea of Galilee, it seems to be an area that is controlled by Gentiles. That's where the Gentiles live. That's why they're raising pigs. Jews wouldn't do that. So the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men, Coming from the tombs, met Jesus. 
And so we see the home of these demons is the tombs. It's among the dead. And it really is a picture of the nature of Satan's work. It is death. He wants to bring us all into the arena of death itself. Now, what is death spiritually? Death spiritually is to be separated from God. That's the work of Satan. His desire is to come into every life and ensure that we remain separated from God. Separated and under the judgment of God. Look at the Garden of Eden. Eve is wandering about the garden and God has given one command for them of what not to do. He said, you can eat of every tree in the garden except one, the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so when Satan comes, he says, are you allowed to eat of every tree? And she said, well, not the tree in the middle of the garden. If we eat of that, we will surely die. And Satan's first lie is, you will surely not die. Satan's ministry is truly about death. His desire is to gain the worship and adulation and control that we give God. Isaiah brings this out where Satan at his fall says, I will be like the most high. I will send to the seat of the king. The way he has to do that is to first separate us from God. And his lie is, you can sin, it will not bring you death. It will not separate you from God. It is the lie that we hear throughout this culture today. Either through the words, God, everyone's going to heaven. I mean, God is love. And so if you die, when you die physically, you're not going to be dead spiritually. You will not surely die. You'll be going to heaven. That's the same lie in the Garden of Eden. It's the same lie that says, you know, there is no hell. God would not make a hell. You surely will not die. Don't buy that lie. When you buy that lie, you remove yourself from the Savior who can save you from that death. Our sin separates us from God. It is ugly, it is awful, it is horrendous in the eyes of a holy God. And a lot of people would say, but, but he's loving. Yes, he's loving, but he is holy. If God, as a holy God, accepted your sin, he would cease to be holy. Because he'd be accepting sin. Do you want a God who is not holy? Do you want a God like you running the universe? We want a holy God. But that means sin separates from that God. It brings us death. If we don't believe that, we won't find the solution. God's love, and he does love us. As holy as he is, he is just as loving. He loves us by sending us Jesus Christ as Savior to take our sin, 
So we wouldn't have to live in spiritual death, but brought into spiritual life. So the first work of the devil, the nature of his work, is to bring death, to keep us in spiritual death. We see the means by which he does it, and that is through control. The people are demon-possessed. That means the demons are controlling them. And it's Satan's desire for each one of us. His work is by controlling us. Paul will talk about Satan as the god of this world. People run it, but it's the lives of Satan behind and underneath us that keeps us actually in bondage to the wiles of Satan. And then we see the result. These men are not who they were. They are not the people they were created to be. Oh, they're very powerful. They're so powerful. They're terrorizing uh, all the gatherings. They, they won't even try to come by because these men prevent them. But that's not who they truly are. They've completely lost themselves and been taken over. Now, we can say, these are demon-possessed men. And this is what Satan is doing in the extreme. But the difference between us and them is not the kind, but it is the degree of the work of Satan in our lives. He, too, has a grip on us by controlling the way we think, by giving the second lie that he told in the Garden of Eden. When he said, if you eat of that tree, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The only way you can find fulfillment in life, Eve, is if you eat of that tree. But God is telling you not to. That, again, is a very pervasive lie in our culture today. Each one of us says, if I only had this, then I would be fulfilled. And as soon as we go for that, whatever it is, it begins to control us. If I only had more money, then I would be satisfied and fulfilled. And we become slaves to money. If I only got to the top of the ladder, that's I know when I would be fulfilled. And so our jobs begin to control us. If only I had that person fall in love with me, or if I only had the, the perfect marriage or the perfect spouse, then I would have been fulfilled. And this desire begins to control us. Even in religious circles, because... Satan doesn't just come in to work havoc in people's lives. He also comes in, Paul says, as an angel of light to, to the Christian community to warp the truth of the gospel and the grace of God that comes from the gospel into a legalism where Christianity it becomes all about rules and we feel constrained and controlled by rules. And we lose sight of the goodness of God. And once we lose sight of the goodness of God, 
we're not so interested in the depth of the relationship with God. And so Satan works in both ways, and he will even control the church by turning us into saying, I will be fulfilled when I become righteous and people recognize me as spiritual and righteous. So the, the nature of Satan's work is really death. The means is control. The result is these men are out of their minds. They are not the people God created them to be. They are the farthest thing from it. They are exactly what Satan wants them to be. And when we allow the control of the devil in his wiles, when we, when we deny that this spiritual warfare is going on, the result is we really begin to lose ourselves and who we are. But we see the second aspect in the person of Jesus. We have the demons and Christ. Paul says, our struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in heavenly places. But we have Christ on our side. And so we notice when these demons finally see Jesus, verse 29 what do you want with us, Son of God? Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? You know what's interesting about this? Uh, the Son of God, in that the earlier story, the last story, Jesus showed his power over, the, over nature itself when he calmed the storms. And that story ends with the disciples being amazed and actually somewhat frightened and wondering, who is this who can rule the sea and the waves? And what's interesting is Matthew's answer comes not from the disciples who are living with Jesus, who certainly would be seen to have had a lot of bias in their answer. It doesn't come from Jesus himself. That would be a self-testimony that a lot of people wouldn't accept. It doesn't come from his friends. Again, that, that would be biased. It doesn't come from the earthly dimension who are very nearsighted, who really can't see uh, the unseen dimension. The answer comes from spirit beings who see all, who are actually enemies of Jesus. The answer is, who is this? This is the Son of God. Now, they're not saying this as some PR team that's trying to say, hey, everybody, this is the Son of God. The reason they're saying this is that in ancient thinking, everyone had a secret name. And if you could find that secret name, that would give you power over them. And so their proclamation is believing, if we can name you, O Son of God, 
then maybe we can have some control. But of course, you can't because this is God himself in their presence. And so, in the spiritual battle, it is so clear that Jesus is supreme. And they say, Son of God, have you come to torture us before our time? See, they know they are already defeated. They know that there's a day in history where they will be judged, they will be cast into hell, and they will be, stand under the judgment of God for eternity. They're just shocked that all of a sudden if the Son of God is now there in front of them because they thought he was going to show up on that day of judgment. And they're, they're realizing that there is a... Jesus has shown up earlier than they were hoping, but they know that this isn't the day of judgment. That there's a separation between Jesus' first coming and second coming. Tremendous insight they have. And so they're begging, don't torment us before the time. Let's let history play itself out. But do you see these demon-possessed men, these demons who had power, so much power that all the Gadarenes were shaking in fear, cowering before them, now cower before Jesus himself. Greater is the one who is in you than he who is in the world. There is a spiritual struggle. But we can see from this passage, it's not much of a battle when it's Christ against the devils. It really isn't much of a battle when you stand in Christ against Satan. And remember, the passage does not say, greater are you, Christian, than the devil. It's greater is the one who is in you than he who is in the world. And this should lead us to humility. This should lead us to realizing we don't have this power in and of ourselves. We don't have this ability we would be like the demoniacs here, completely controlled, completely won over, if not Christ on our side. So humbly we can resist the devil, as James says. Resist him, and he will flee. And all Jesus has to do in this passage is say one word. There's no incantations, no special formula. In, in all the other... One, one researcher tells, says, in all the other stories about demon-possessed people in the different cultures of that time, in every case, they called upon some sort of higher power. But not here. Jesus doesn't call on a higher power because he is that higher power. He says one word, go. And they go rushing into the pig's a natural place because those were unclean in the eyes of the Jews. Those pigs rush over into the water and drown. So we see this, the curtain drawn back on the battle, the spiritual battle between good and evil, Satan and Christ. And we know where the victory is won. And it's very clear in this passage.
So now we turn to a third point, and that is, what's the response of humanity when it is seen that Christ is victorious? And we read that in verse 34 in the first part. Notice it says, Verse 33, those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. Now, if we stopped right there, what would you be imagining? The whole town goes rushing out to meet Jesus when they've heard about this spiritual victory, the power where they've now been freed from this life of fear, controlled by these demoniacs, kept captive by them, we would think they're about to throw them a parade. But that isn't what we see, is it? They went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Do you get it? You know, a lot of commentators say, well, these people, they invested a lot of money in these pigs, and so they loved money more than, you know, Jesus. Uh, The other two Gospels, the parallel stories, it said the reason the response to these people was because of fear. They feared Jesus. They had feared the demons, but now they feared Jesus even more then they feared demon-possessed people. Why? What were they afraid Jesus would do? I mean, Jesus is the victor over evil. Perhaps what they were afraid of is that Jesus would come to be the victor over evil in their lives. That there were sins in their lives they didn't want to give up. And if Satan could do that to demons, he could come in and bring a revolution in their region of good and purity. And they weren't ready for that. You know, uh, this book, Matthew, is written, first of all, to Jews. To show them who Jesus is. So you can imagine a, a, a Jew reading this at this point and say, wow, that's amazing. The Gentiles, they rejected Jesus. They wanted to have no part with Jesus, even though it was so evident that he had the power of God, that he was setting people free. And then as the story unfolds, we see that the response of the Jews is certainly not better. It's even worse. Yeah, sure, at the beginning, they were curious about Jesus. He had many followers. But he always had the religious leaders against him, trying to trap him. And slowly the people turned. And at the end, they had all turned against him. But only they didn't say, let's banish Jesus so he never comes back. Their cry was crucify him. What is it about Gentile 
and Jew. They can't live with Jesus. What about our own lives? Are we really, do we live in denial of who Jesus is? Denial of spiritual battles? Because there are things in our lives we don't want to give up? This, this is me. Um, my freshman year of college, my brother had become a Christian, very evident that Christ was real in his life. He had turned from this selfish, self-centered, angry, bitter young man. Just like that, he turned into a, a, a man of peace. His anger was gone. He was no longer thinking of himself. He was constantly thinking and doing for others. And it was undeniable the work Christ had done in his life. And so he invited me to some Bible studies in church, and I went for two weeks. I even went forward at a service. And after two weeks, I got down with God, and I said, God, you know, I've really seen you. You are real. Jesus is who he said he is. But I'm having too much fun in college. So tap me on the shoulder in a couple years, and maybe we'll be good. My wife Karen talked about how she was on the fence. She was attending some Bible studies with actually Jewish Christians. And it was clear and evident to her what they were saying was true. Jesus was real. But she stayed on the fence for a long time. And she says the reason is there were things in her life she didn't want to give up. Why can't we say, Lord, take it. I don't want to live in sin anymore. I want to give these up. When we see what Christ offers, look at the demoniacs under the control of Satan. And look at them once Jesus has freed them, uh, the, the other, one of the other gospels says, when the people came out, they saw the demoniac clothed, seated, and in his right mind. He was finally in his right mind. You see, when we are living in sin, we, we're not in our right minds. We don't realize we are being controlled. We are not free. Jesus said, I come and give you the truth. That will set you free. And you know the response of the Jews was? We're not, we're not slaves. Even though they were under the power of Rome at that time. See, we live in denial. We're not in our right minds when we say, when we're not crying out to Christ, free us from the sin that so easily entangles us. We have a choice before us to be get set into our right minds. It's only in Christ when we truly can find ourselves. We ask ourselves the question, who am I? I got to be me. But who is the you you got to be? Is it the person that has to feel follow all my passions? Well, these are the passions God gave me. He gave you only the passions for good. We are all enslaved thinking, I find myself when I follow my desires. But the real you is one who is made in the image of God. 
to see as God sees, to feel as God feels, and to choose as God wills. That's the real you. And we only get set free to become that when we say yes to Jesus Christ. There is a spiritual warfare going on. Christ is victorious. We can be like the Gadarenes who stay in our sin. Or we can be set free in Jesus Christ. Our Lord, we thank you that you pulled back the curtain today in this passage. We just say, give us Jesus. We want to be the people you created us to be. Free us in his name. Amen.